This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ari Clark, and today on our panel, we have Tessa. Hello. And Ben Hong. Hello, hello. And today, we're here to chat about what it's like to learn new things in development and the challenges that can come with keeping up with the latest and greatest. Who wants to start? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll kick it off. So for those who might not know, you know, Ari, Tessa, and I come from non-traditional like backgrounds as far as like not you know computer science majors. And so it always, I don't know about YouTube, but for me, it always feels like I'm always trying to hack on new tech knowledge, you know, the method that someone else learned in, you know, undergrad already. And so what's hard for me when it comes to keeping up with things, on top of the fact that new libraries constantly keep getting released and it's like the new hot thing, right? Like Tailwind came out, it was like the new way to do CSS. And like it, it seems a bit relentless. And with like, there's so many formats too, right? Because if you think about it, it's kind of insane, right? There are blog posts, right, from individual contributors. There are conference talks, there are videos that people produce, and then there are tutorials. And it's just like, it, it can be rather overwhelming. So I mean, from I'm curious before I sort of speak my piece, like how, like if, so let's, for example, if right now, let's talk about the Vue 3 teleport, you know, new element coming, right? Like where would you all go? Like what's your first, what's your first instinct to like try to learn about this? I would probably ask you because I never, I didn't know. <laughs> Is it different from portals? Yeah, so it basically renamed it from portals to teleport so that it doesn't conflict, I believe, with the upcoming web spec. But yes. Okay. Or maybe I'm totally wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're making me doubt myself. (laughs) I'm going off of like how I learned a little bit more about the composition API. Yes, let's do that one. Okay. Yes. Composition Uh, API. Yeah, I got a text from a friend being like, "Have you seen all of the all of the talk on Twitter about composition API? People are really mad." And so <laughs> on Twitter, I couldn't find any of the mad people, but I saw the I saw a link to the RFC, so I looked at that. I read it, didn't get it. Read all the comments, got some of the gist, but not completely. Mm-hmm. Until ViewCon, Divya was going to do a talk on composition API, which I think she had to change the last minute because it was renamed from whatever it was originally. Mm-hmm. And then Evan talked about it, still didn't get it. I think that you come a year later, Greg, Greg gave a talk about it. I was like, oh, now I get some of it. <laughs> it was like that scene in Futurama when they introduce mom and they're like introducing the mother of all robots. And Fry is like, I get it. And then they go, mom. And then he says, oh, now I get it. So <laughs> it constantly feels like that, that kind of thing where I think I get something. And then it's like, oh, now I get it. But then I'm sure in the future, I'll be like, oh, no, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think I read the RFC because, and like Tessa, the first time I read it, did not get it. <laughs> uh, and actually, I, I'll be honest, I started to get it more from reading the comments than anything. Yeah. You know, people pointing out the shortcomings, good use cases, edge cases where it wouldn't work. Because I guess I need things to be in a, a very real world context for me mm-hmm. to process it. You know, I really hate, you know, foobar. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Food they have bar. no meaning. I, yeah. Like I, I guess I need to have a story to go with it. But Ari, food bar can be anything. Use your imagination. Yeah. Well, I need relationships to make sense of things. Um, but not a car or a dog because those are also not helpful. <laughs> really? No. You don't think that learning how to represent a class as a car is good? But the monkey comes with the whole jungle. Doesn't that make sense? You know, you give a monkey a banana and you have the whole jungle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The comments are really helpful because a lot of times the thing is when something's written down, it's written down from and for the perspective of like a very specific consumer. And if you don't identify with the person that they're talking to, then it's hard to to understand, at least for me, if it's if it's not presented in a format that I can, I guess, empathize with or internalize, it's hard for me to understand. And so with the comments, you're getting way more different perspectives on what the thing is. So then you can kind of piece piece together what something is by what it isn't or what other people think it is. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. Yeah, context is definitely one of those things that it, oftentimes I think when it comes to technical authors is often lost. Because either you've been staring at it for so long or you've come up with something, but it's so... Because you need to make it easy to use from an abstract way, when you explain it that way, it loses the context of where the original idea sometimes came from, you know, I think. And I think that's probably why a lot of people enjoy like well-designed conference talks because oftentimes there is that narrative behind what's going on. Like someone's not just being like... They're not claiming to know like how to migrate every app, every legacy app to view. They're talking about their specific use case like what problems they dealt with. And then it's probably, yeah, I think that's, now that you mentioned, that's probably why a lot of people do find them helpful, inspiring. I feel like loss of context has bitten me a lot of times in JavaScript too. Where did this go? I need it. Bring it back. Find it. (laughs) Still can't find it. (laughs) Because I feel like at least everyone I've ever, everyone I talked to when I was, you know, trying to get ready to give a conference talk was, or at least the people... (laughs) The people who I had seen speak and I thought that they were good speakers and then they gave me advice. There was very much an emphasis on tell your story. And so, yeah, I feel like an effective conference talk takes you on a journey Mm -hmm. through a constant theme. At least the best conference talks I've seen, like told a story throughout it and were consistent, which is why I think my talk was not good, but... For the record, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really, I honestly, I'm so envious of people who have that ability to create a story from a concept because that is not something that comes naturally to me at all, which is why I think good tech educators are hard to find. Yeah. Recently, I was thinking about, they just finished Dark, which Dan Abramov has been pushing pretty heavily on Twitter. And I remembered how, like, two years ago, we, had lunch right before he gave that like hooks intro talk so he was talking about his thought process and i'm going to introduce which incidentally was right before the composition api so or (laughs) position was interesting he was talking about his thought process and strategy in terms of how to introduce this idea to the react community and how he comes up with talks and we were both working on talks that we were about to give and after that i completely changed the way i approached talks and then the next year i gave my first big conference talk which is about time travel and I had a reference to Dark in there. So, you know, maybe he has a time machine. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think people who can wrap, wrap their talk topics in some kind of uh, narrative. It's like the, 
what what's that theory in like physics or quantum mechanics or something like the theory of everything where everything like fits together somehow it's like the ideal conceptual you're too smart for me tessa i'm sorry yeah <laughs> the only physics thing i'm thinking of is string theory but I'm pretty sure that's not what you're referring to i dropped out of mechanical engineering so i got nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like the last time i took i took a physics class was in in high school but i think i think Somebody will, I'm sure, let us know eventually when they hear this episode. But it's like that theory that there's some universal formula that can connect everything together. And that's probably not realistic just in in general. But in a talk, having this kind of theoretical theory of everything where everything connects together and has a flow, I think, is a really useful context to help people hook into your content and understand uh, what you're talking about. And I've talked with Ben about this before, but like one person who I draw a lot of inspiration from or who I think is really good at this is Mike Birbiglia. So like my girlfriend's boyfriend, that special is one that I think about a lot whenever I'm thinking about. (laughs) Yeah. And to Tessa's point, when she sort of brought up this idea, you know, for those that enjoy watching stand-up comedy, you'll notice that, you know, stand-up comics often have this message they actually kind of want to communicate. But and so it seems like they're going on these tangents, and usually they have this really beautiful way of like tying it all back together. And so, you yeah, know, for the anyone... callback. Sorry. <laughs> yes, the callback, <laughs> which is not the same as what we think of callbacks as. <laughs> yeah, especially with Birbiglia's style, it's like when you have your commit history and you don't squash and merge, you just merge. Five <laughs> stories, but they all end up serving the same goal. But I think it's also important to recognize that not everybody learns the same way. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there for whom conference talks do nothing for them. And absolutely, they just don't process them very well. And I'll be honest, I really only process very high level stuff from a talk. For me, it, if you go too far into the weeds, I will not remember anything. <laughs> um, they're useful for me to, you know, sort of call, call back later. <laughs> oh, callbacks. <laughs> um, and be like, oh, I remember someone said something about that. I should go look into that more. Because I actually struggle with auditory learning. I'm very yeah. much a visual learner and especially the written word. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that I use videos or talks as my primary source of learning at all. I would say I use podcasts and things mm-hmm. like that to scratch the surface of things and gain awareness of something's existence. Mm-hmm. But don't laugh um, at me for a second. I forgot we were doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so comfortable, Tessa. Feeling right. Uh, but to your point, though, Ari, I, I would love to hear, you know, when you start getting into the deeper level things, right? The written piece. What are some things you find that have been helpful or things that, or maybe have not worked, you know, when you've read blog posts or those kind of things? This is going to sound very weird because I, I'm pretty sure that I'm in a minority and that I go to documentation first. Yeah, you're definitely in a minority. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm sure that there are a few people out there who are the same way. So yay, we're cool. (laughs) Or we're a special brand of weird, but it's okay. But no, like, uh, honestly, my go-to when I need to solve a problem is usually go to the platform first, you know, use the yeah. platform, use the DOM APIs that are available to you. And if you know every single one that already exists and every single method or property on it, you are incredible and amazing, but I'm not you. 
So I usually like to go down rabbit holes on MDN. <laughs> like I'll start in like the general area where I think I might find what I'm looking for and then just, you know, keep going further down the rabbit hole because, you know, the related topics thing is my jam. <laughs> so like, so I'll start with like, you know, the input element. I'm like, I know mm-hmm. something to do with forms, but maybe there's a better element that I'm actually looking for. So I'll start there and it'll start leading me in the right direction eventually. Well, the last time I went down a hole, somehow I ended up reading the ECMAScript specifications and the CSS specifications. And I Oh my said, gosh. I have gone that far down. I didn't retain or understand very much, but I tried. <laughs> but yeah, no, when you've gone that far down the rabbit hole, I find that it's probably time to walk away for a few minutes. <laughs> but maybe Tess is just better than me. And she's like, yeah, no, I understood everything I read. Well, I mean, we all learn by reading the docs, right? That's why that piece of advice is so common and helpful. Just read the docs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're written well. Yes. No, I mean, and like, I will say that that maybe isn't necessarily where I end my learning journey, but it's often where I will start it just so I have a better idea of what I actually need to learn. Because a lot of times I don't know what I need to learn at the start of a learning journey. Yeah. I know I have this problem to solve, but I don't know what the solution will be. So I don't, I don't know what to learn yet. So first I have to identify, you know, the general area of the solution and then I can dig deeper down. And I, I usually find that figuring out what part of the platform I need to learn about is my first step. And for me, the way that MDN docs are organized, it's very conducive to my ADHD brain. <laughs> you can go on tangents, which is what I do. Uh, <laughs> And then usually like once I figure out like where, where my answer is, I will usually just like Google that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. SEO is important because if you're not on the first page, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, what I need is not on the first page. So I might even land on the third page, but you know, having a good summary is, is what's going to get me to click on it. And code examples in a blog post is usually where I end up getting my true answers. Yeah, to that point, I feel like most of the learning I do to solve specific problems is before I encounter the specific problem where like, Ari, I'll be watching a talk or reading a blog post and I'll sort of hang on to like the, what I intuit is the gist of the idea. I'm like, okay, I think I understand this smell. And then I'm solving a problem and I'm like, this kind of reminds me of that thing I remember hearing about. And so because I was exposed to it before, that helps me understand it a a little bit better than if I was encountering it for the first time. And if it's not related to something that I've encountered before, then I kind of rely on everybody else around me having encountered something related before, which I think is much preferable to when I encounter a problem for the first time, have no reference, don't know how to ask anybody about it. Usually this is for conference talks because I pick topics that are on things that nobody would ever actually want to do. And then I'm like, here's this thing (laughs) for this talk. How can I do it? And then people are like, well, why would you want to do that? That's a silly idea. You should do this other thing instead. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't solve my problem. So having this like blurry reference library of potential starting points that I build up over time can be helpful. I like that. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's a a blurry reference library in my head. I'm like, that's sort of like this thing. Let me go look at that and maybe I'll find what I'm looking for. 
Yeah, I like that a lot too, just because I think it's easy as developers to feel like you need to learn it. Like when you hear a new concept to like grok everything. And by grok, for those who don't use that a lot, just like to, to grasp and understand everything. I realize that's a text term. And so, yeah, you know, we've talked, I think, on some past episodes about like that concept of just in time information. And so I think Tessa's approach like pairs with that really well because by just as long as you feel like you get the essence of it and figuring out like what problems it solves, it's okay that you don't understand the full specs and that you don't understand everything about it because as we all probably have learned from personal experience, like until you have a real problem you're solving and applying the thing to anyways, it's probably not going to stick no matter how much you read about it. Unless so. you're an amazing individual, which good for you. Yes, if yes. You remember literally everything you read. <laughs> I'm extremely jealous, <laughs> but that is a gift. Please do not take it for granted. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I remember very little. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, the, the blurry parts. And then I'm like, okay, let me adjust the focus on that. Though yeah. Sometimes I still don't know what I'm doing, even if I've solved the problem. I'm like, well, it works now. <laughs> don't know why. I feel like that's a struggle too, because it's like, if I understand it, I can remember it well, but I usually don't understand it. So I don't remember it. <laughs> I think that's actually why I will only go to other people as a last resort. Because I find that a lot of times people want to hand you the answer without mm-hmm. handing you the knowledge that goes with it. And I mean, sometimes I'm at that I'm at that point in trying to solve a problem where I just want it solved because I'm at my wit's end and I'm so frustrated. And that's okay for me to just accept the answer at that point. And maybe later I'll go figure out why. But I, yeah, unless I understand why I'm doing something, I generally don't retain that information at all. Yeah, I feel like usually when I go to people, I'm at the point where the only thing I care about is why. I'm like, why is it? Why? (laughs) But yeah, I think also the whole building up this blurry library thing is a really good argument for uh, when we're talking about salaries and stuff, especially for traditionally undervalued fields like art, but also for programming. Like you're not just paying for what somebody is doing this instant, but also all of the knowledge and practice they've built up over the years to get to the point they are now. Yeah, I love that. I'm so much better at finding things on on Google now than like... (laughs) I think Googling is the most valuable skill to have as a developer. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you don't know it, as long as you can find the answer, that's, that's all that matters. So we've talked a bit about some of the things we liked and some of the things that assist us when it comes to learning new things. Are there things that you all have come across in whether it's writing styles or talks that sort of, you know, we talk, for example, we talked about the food bar thing, right? Are there things that you find that help actually block you when it comes to or sort of getting the way of your learning? Okay, I was confused by help block you. That got yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> it's like a good no, yeah. Negative, positive, <laughs> yes, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times I find block really hard to understand, especially with code samples, like whether it's broken up into pieces or if they show you all the code at once and talk through it, I find that really hard, especially because code isn't really linear in terms of time. Maybe if there was some kind of visualization with a slider where I could see all of the comments to the relevant parts of the code as they come up like in an order, that might be helpful. I'm not really sure. So... I know this isn't necessarily the most popular opinion, but for me, I find videos generally the most helpful of the available learning options, which like, I don't 
really enjoy videos as a medium. I prefer things that are like in person or me doing something, but generally videos are the most efficient or like effective learning tool for me where I can watch something sped up and see somebody else doing it, which at least lets me imagine if I'm doing it versus reading a blog and I can see things happen in order so I can get the like general overview of how everything fits together. And then if I need it later, I can go back and try to piece it together by myself. Like I feel like when I go back and forth over the video, that gives me more, somehow it feels like there's more there that I can examine from different ways versus when I am reading a blog post where I feel really tied to the words that are there, but I don't have tone or energy or anything else to Mm -hmm jump off of which now I feel like I sound kind of weird and I'm like let's all sit in a in a circle and hold hands but <laughs> that's not Again, my ukulele. Was getting. <laughs> <laughs> but like with blog posts and stuff too it's it's really important to me that the topic is interesting because if it's not I definitely will not get through it and yeah for that I reason skim at that point I'm just like oh uh, god no Mm-mm. can't <laughs> Yeah. So that's, that's why I really enjoy Michael Thiessen's blog is not because there's a problem that I need to solve. And then I find his blog, which is very often the case, but I think my first introduction to him was at View Toronto. And he was like, I'm going to build something entirely only using templates, which is like, who would ever want to do that? That sounds incredibly inefficient and finicky. And I was like, that is exactly up my alley. And a lot of blog posts are like thinking around weird use cases like that, which I think in order to do those things and communicate them to other people, a lot of times you have to know the domain incredibly well. So that makes it both novel and interesting, but also educational, at least for me. Yeah, I think blog posts can, for me, they're so hit or miss because how you end up structuring your code examples is so important for my learning one thing I really hate is the old, remember we did this thing, here's the next part. Cause I'm like, I don't remember. Okay. I know that I read it two <laughs> minutes ago, but I don't remember that code. So can you at least, you know, maybe give me a synopsis there? Like oftentimes it's really hard in the blog format to clearly indicate how parts fit together. I don't necessarily have solutions. Maybe if you are using line numbers, that's helpful. And just, you know, like collapsing those parts that aren't there that you don't need at that moment. Another one I, and I, actually this is a pet peeve of mine with the view docs, <laughs> is if you're in multiple files within your, whatever example you're building and you're not telling me which file name you're working in, mm-hmm. that is very upsetting to me. Cause I'm like, wait, which one is, it? Shh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. I'm sure to the writer, it's very obvious which file this would go in, but you know, when I'm just learning something, it's maybe not super obvious to me. Not just telling which file it is, but like really highlighting that fact and making it hard to miss. Because especially like when you're new to code, I feel like remembering that things are in different files and what each file does is really hard to to remember. And so you wouldn't even think to look for that a lot of times, at least in my experience. Yeah, that's a great call out. Yeah, Ben, making a I'm note just kidding, for I'm kidding. view through that. <laughs> <laughs> I have some other notes there because my, my friend was uh, trying to get on board with you, two friends actually. And so we were looking at the getting started part and I was like, wow, this this looks really different. And then one of them was looking at some other other templating tool and they, they were like, oh, I really like this. They were using uh, Stackblitz. And I was like, that seems interesting. 
anyway, major, major digression there. <laughs> um, yeah, going back to the, the blog and, and the code samples. All right, one thing that you made me think of, because earlier I was describing if there was some kind of like slider interface. And another one that I think would be pretty cool is like in animation, there's this thing called onion skinning. So for listeners who are not familiar with onion skinning, it's, it's called onion skinning because the layers of an onion are transparent. And the idea is that you, if I want to animate somebody swinging a bat, then I have my two keyframes, which is when the person has the bat. No, let's do something simpler, like a wave. I want to <laughs> somebody. So my hand will start at the left and then it will move to the right. And so those are my two keyframes because those, those are the two main like points of the animation, like the starting point and the ending point. So then how do you fill the space in the middle? And you do that by building up frames through onion skinning. So what onion skinning does is I have these two pictures of the hand on the left and on the right layered on top of each other, but they're translucent. So you can see both hands at the same time. And then you draw the hands that's in the middle of those two hands. And then you continue closing that space. Like I forgot what it's called when you're searching in a diff for a problem and you do like a binary search. Yeah, I guess it's like a binary search. So you keep on you keep on bisecting between two frames until you have the number of frames you need to achieve that animation. So it's like if we had something like that for code uh, where you can see the transition of the code from one state to the next, but see the two states at the same time, that might also be helpful to call out changes. Lots of lots of free ideas here. New NPM library due to be published I, next week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like blogging platforms have a for coding, especially, you know, tech blogging. There's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, yeah. There's a lot of room for tooling to improve the experience for the user. But people tend to want, you know, a generic way of handling things because then they can move it between platforms. But maybe. There needs to be just like one blogging platform to rule them all. And then it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Somebody would get on viewprint. Not kidding. <laughs> but yeah, having I mean, interactive tools, I think is important. Even if it's because <laughs> like I say, I don't like videos, but I do like interactive things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I need it to be the written word, but also interactive. So someone make that happen. Thanks. Yeah, because like a lot of times those code edit online code editors are the ones that have the most terrifying documentation, mm-hmm. which makes developing new solutions even more terrifying. But a very good distraction and good way to procrastinate actually starting on writing content for your blog because you can't <laughs> add content to the blog if the presentation isn't perfect first. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, Ben? Obviously. <laughs> I mean, you both bring up a really interesting point that I never thought of is that, you know, writing is a very, I'll call it a two-dimensional way of data, right? It's linear because it's from top to bottom. And then I think videos allow that, whereas like, I think we're talking about when it talks to coding articles, really coding is such a three-dimensional concept. We think of it that way just because if so many areas that touch on it, to your point, like you skip directories, you skip into different files and keeping that context in a linear format is very, very difficult. And because writing as itself is already a very a difficult skill that, you know, most people don't have a lot of training in. So you combine that, certainly giving me a lot to think about, I guess. You, you, don't, you all don't mind NPM install onion skinning, right? Save that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I prefer yarn. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yarn add onion skinning. <laughs> That's going to be the new NPM module. Someone had to make the joke. <laughs> <laughs> This this show that I was just watching last night actually had this quote, like, things can't exist without a third dimension. So this is very apropos. 
Yeah. To Ari's point about language, and I, th- I think also probably I, it stands out to me more or distracts me more because I used to teach English and writing. And also there's like periods of my life where like I'll kind of do a lot of reading around some niche. So like for a couple of years there, it was mommy bloggers. And I was really irritated at like, like every community has its own special language that I usually for some reason find really like, I don't like. <laughs> so in mommy blogs, there was a lot of, oh, I just whipped up XYZ. And tech has its own too, which is like, now we just, and then we simply blah, blah, blah. And then like Ari said, as you recall, like in the previous step, we blah, blah, blah. And I think it comes from a good place, like in terms of intentions and this whole we thing, I think is trying to include the reader in terms of this journey of this thing that we're building together. I'm being welcoming and inclusive. But I think a lot of times we'll see this type of language and subconsciously internalize it as the way that we verbalize what we're doing in code. And because it fits the shape of the pattern in which all of the previous blog posts we've seen follow, then it it sort of tricks us into thinking like, oh, I've, I've just naturally written something that will communicate my idea well to others when it's not just your language choice, but also the content and the organization and the structure, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like words like simply and just really are exclusive words. Because it's not that hard. You just yeah. stop saying it, okay, Ari? <laughs> stop watching videos. They're a waste of time. Um, yeah, because, you know, it, it presents it as if you don't understand this, there's something wrong with you. Even though that's, I'm sure, never the intent. I think that the intent there is to make something seem less intimidating by saying you simply do this because a lot of times uh, concepts in tech can be scary and we want to make them less scary for people. But saying simply do this doesn't achieve that goal. It only achieves the goal of frustrating people who still don't get it. And some things are going to come easily to some people and some things are going to really take a lot of work and that's okay. But yeah, it... (laughs) I'm absolutely guilty of doing that and I've been called out on it. So, I mean, I'm not perfect, but now that I'm aware that, yeah, it's, it, it's not helpful language. I have, I try to do better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I will say as someone who does create content in all forms, like, you know, video written and such, you know, I would say I also fell into the trap, like to Ari's point, right? You want to start by, you're trying to like welcome the reader to say that like, it's not that hard because it's only two lines of code. But what we often forget is that while this may f- make some people feel like, okay, it's not too bad, you, you have that immediate con of raising the obstacle for those that don't have the knowledge they need to get to that point. Whereas when I started actually paying attention to the language in which I wrote things, you don't lose anything by actually removing stuff like that. Like If you just want to say, oh, it's simply two lines of code, you can just say, with two lines of codes, we do this. The people who are going to find it easy will find it easy. And then the ones like, even if it's not simple to them, they'll be like, okay, well, these two, okay, it's, it's two lines of codes. Now I need to understand that, right? So, and it's easy. I know that especially with workshops and stuff, um, as, as someone who's taught them, like, it's easy to go like, oh, you simply do this. Like, that's like a really common, oh, you, how do I fix this? You simply do this. And again, the intent is never bad. But if you start removing that from your language, you realize you get all the up, you can, you can, you, you don't have to exclude anyone by accident. Basically, you don't have the unintended negative effect. Whereas when you use that as a way to like console people, you end up having that sort of 
reverse impact. So just try it out. Just. Like I said, oh, gosh. See <laughs> what I'm saying? Obviously, I just <laughs> give it a shot, you know, removing it and rephrasing things. You'll find that you can still communicate that concepts are not as scary as they are without the exclusivity of someone without that previous knowledge. Also, I know like, especially as writers, sometimes you're afraid of like stating the obvious. You don't want to appear like, oh, like, like, you know, you feel like you're being assumptive when you're like, oh, doesn't everyone already know what Git is, right? Doesn't, you know, but sometimes just adding that little bit in the, in your, in your comments, be like Git, you know, a very popular version control language. And then it's like, like link that out to somewhere else and then just move on. Like the people who know what Git is will just skip that and just move on. And then the people who've never heard of Git will just, they'll click, they'll see the link and they can click on it and jump out if they need to. But there are ways to do this without, yeah, don't be afraid of repeat, like sort of being a little bit more explanatory. People who are advanced will move right past it. They're not going to be like, oh, why is he, ex- why is he or she or they explaining it all over again? Yeah, I remember that one time I went to this dinner for managers in, in tech. I don't know why I went because I'm not a manager in tech. And the one who's hosting a dinner is like a product manager. And she was talking about her role and how she saw it. And she was like, one of the key components of my role is just get used to repeating information because people are not going to understand it the first time or the second time or the third time. Like you just have to repeat it over and over and over again to get the message through. And I thought that was a really good takeaway because they do feel like not just in coding is there a lot of pressure to repeat ourselves, but it's also like either we think it's annoying or we don't want to annoy other people. If there's anything that my learning journey shows, it's that I need to learn the same thing over and over again (laughs) multiple times to get it. And also to Ben and Ari's points, I I imagine there's some cases where words like simply and just make sense. But I, I do think that most of the time they are a good symbol for are we glossing over something too quickly here? Because I feel like, especially earlier on, there were so many points where I just read the docs and the doc said, simply paste these two lines into your code. And I had followed all of the instructions that I saw up until that point, presumably in the right file, I guess, which might've all been one file. <laughs> I it didn't work. And since it just said simply there and they didn't know why I was doing it, there wasn't really anything else for me to go off of. and. I mean, the the implications of, of simply aside, I feel like looking at that, that might be an opportunity to be like, am I assuming that some kind of context is is going to be identical for everybody going through this thinking mm-hmm. uh, where it might not be the case? Or like, is this is this assuming a perfect a perfect use case or a perfect scenario where everything is on the so-called happy path when if experience has taught us or at least me anything, there is no happy path. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, funny you should mention that. I we got a comment recently on the lesson that I did where I, I I didn't say I don't think I said simply, but I was simply presenting like I'll say, if you want to add this library, I said, you know, just yarn add library. And someone was like, Oh, I'm from Windows World and yarn sucks on Windows. So can you please like Try to include like the NPM way to do things and that kind of thing. And so it's that's a great. Uh, sorry, that, sorry, yeah, Tessa, you just reminded me of that. Where it's like the happy path, right? Most developers are on some sort of Linux Mac OS system, and some are on Windows, and some are coding on their phones. Like there are just so many things that you know. Yeah, are <laughs> looking at me. Into, but <laughs> oh, do not want yeah. to do that. But we often forget that like people come from various backgrounds, especially you know in countries where. 
affording a computer is just not a feasible thing socioeconomically. Like some people legitimately are coding on their phones. And it's just one of those things are, yeah, you just, you want to, tr- if your goal is to really educate and impact your audience in a positive way, it is important to realize that we all, like that people come from different backgrounds and to try to minimize those barriers as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And also like in, in this country as well, not everyone can afford a computer. Mm-hmm. They definitely not afford a Mac. Yeah. I'm feeling a little bit called out because I recently wrote documentation for onboarding for my team because somebody was finally in my code base for the first <laughs> time in two years. Or actually, it, technically, it was the second person to use this documentation, but I was updating it. And generally, developers at my company use Macs. However, this particular developer used Linux. But fortunately, I had the foresight to include links to how to install things <laughs> if you're not using a Mac, but it's still very much geared towards Mac. But I was like, but if you're not <laughs> using a Mac, just click this. <laughs> I feel like yeah. just never teach anyone anything. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why that technical does, yeah. educators, that's why technical educators are hard to find. Yeah. It, is a, it is a minefield to navigate. Yeah, I mean, like trying to cater to absolutely everyone at all times is impossible. And I think it's okay to miss some people because the great news about technical content is there's no shortage of it. (laughs) (laughs) And somebody's approach will probably resonate with you or, you know, maybe someone else's approach will resonate with your friend and that's okay. And more importantly, just as a reminder, just to clarify in case my message didn't come off correctly, uh, to Ari's point, and there's like, you can't write content for everyone. This is not possible. So it does, what, I, what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that every time you write a blog post, you need to write the Mac version, the Windows version, the Linux version. To be honest, we all have limited time. And the fact that you're spending time to create content for the community is what's ultimately important. And so, you know, if anything, just if, you know, if you have the time, to Ari's point, like if you're linking out to the things that you're using, you know, that can be enough to help people get inspired to think of like, to learn from the way you did it and then figure out how to do it in their own environment. And that's totally fine. But as we talked about, you know, using inclusive language or, or trying to avoid exclusive language actually more so can help to sort of bridge that gap for those that might not be in your position and using things in your context, but they can then still learn from it and then take with the important lessons um, and apply it to their own problems. And speaking of Linux and inclusive language, of course, that ironically, is extremely hard to figure out how to sign up for because you sign up, but you don't get the email for like a few hours. So it's hard to figure out, but it's it's a primer on inclusive language for, for speaking specifically, but that can be helpful if people are wondering where to get started. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And to Ari's point about hearing, like there's so much tech content out there. That's one of the challenges of the docs because right? with docs, there's just that one one presentation of information. And so in terms of learning journeys, a debate that I have seen come up in many a time and many a context is we should put our support community on Discord or we should put our support community on Discuss or whatever, whatever technology here. The idea being, because then we'd only ever have to answer every single question the one time and then nobody could ever ask it again because there's already that historical record there and they could just look it up. But I think there, again, one of the issues is potentially 
everybody's situation is slightly different. The way they're coming to it is slightly different. The explanation that's, that would work for them is slightly different. And also on the part of the explainers, that's like another huge mislearning opportunity. Like I know when I was first getting started in JavaScript, a big part of my learning that got me ahead of the game was trying to answer other people's questions and just doing that incessantly. And so if everything already had its one true answer, then people at different levels miss out on those chances to both contribute and also to practice communicating their ideas to others, which is, in my opinion, one of the most important skills that you need when programming. And I would just like to add, it is a very important skill being able to teach a concept to others. Apparently that's how you know you've truly mastered something. But I also see a lot of people being very discouraging because it's the internet (laughs) to people who maybe didn't have a perfect explanation for someone. So another great skill is to be able to give constructive feedback. (laughs) So, and also tell people good job for trying that. That's just my soapbox for the day. Be nice. (laughs) Yeah. I once, I once, I feel like straw man is a word that gets thrown around the internet a lot, but I once saw somebody talking about Iron Man, which is like, trying to engage with the the best your the point you're arguing against in the best possible light. And I thought that was really interesting to use as a perspective, not just in the context of an argument, but just in general, if you're always trying to understand what somebody's communicating to you, like the core content of it, rather than getting hung up on whether it's perfectly technically correct. Well, actually, Tessa, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> some of you will get that joke. Some of you won't. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious if you ask me, Ari. <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> Not alone, listeners. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to picks. Ben, do you have any picks for us this week? Yeah, I have one pick for you. And that is a book I recently read by Adam Grant and it's called Originals. And so it's basically um, for those that sort of enjoy learning about sort of what it's like to come up with innovative ideas or sort of what makes people tick that that do that. Basically, Adam Grant is like a professor at college who, who was like rated like the top professor for like many years in a row at that university. I forget which one is one of the bigger ones. And um, he just has like a sort of writing style that's really easy to I don't know, just like you're having a conversation, but he has a lot of stories to inspire what really helps to generate original ideas and those sort of things. So if you're the kind of person who's interested in what makes people who come up with original ideas tick and the fact that like TLDR, like it's nothing special, it's really more of a process and um, a kind of thinking that goes along with it, definitely worth checking out. He's also on a lot of different podcasts. So if you're not sure about the book, just look up Adam Grant on the Internet of Things will include, make sure to include a link for his stuff. But yeah, that's my pick for the week. Okay, Tessa, what do you got? I have three picks this week. Two of them are from YouTube. So the first one is Bad Guy, But I'm the Good Guy. So I play it in major key by the Dre Rock. And YouTube had been recommending this to me for a few weeks. So I finally gave in and I watched it. And it's exactly what it sounds like. But the person in the video just has this really endearing smile on the whole time, the whole duration of the video. And so I found that very charming. The second recommendation that YouTube had recommended to me last week, which reminded me of our podcast episode last week, 
is what voice acting in anime is like by Joe Zija. So if if you're familiar at all with the what dubs sound like for anime, then or even if you're not, I think that you would find this video extremely entertaining. And then finally, on the topic of today's episode, there is a course on Coursera called Learning How to Learn by Dr. Barbara Oakley. And it covers most of the well-known strategies for learning effectively. And also just Dr. Oakley is really charming and inspirational because she talks a lot about her own educational background and how she was really bad at math in school. And she thought it just wasn't something that she could be good at, like inherently. And now she's a professor of math. So yeah, those are my picks. Hey, and this week I have no picks because I was on vacation for two weeks and now my sleep schedule is really messed up. So I can't remember anything I did this week. So sorry about that, guys. (laughs) I'll try to make up for it. No, I probably won't. So (laughs) that is it for this week. Until next time, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.